Hello and welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Project 119 Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Mary and it's my pleasure on this Friday, September 8th, to welcome a guest to the podcast. Today we have reading for us Terry Wall. Terry and his wife Luann have been members of Mountain Brook Baptist for about 30 years and I look forward to talking with him at the end of the podcast about his life, his faith, his ministry, and a lot of other fun things. Thank you, Terry, for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Mary. Thanks for having me. I'm going to read today Matthew 7, 15 through 29. This is the New International Version. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at His teaching, because He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Mary, this is Psalm 13, a Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Thank you so much, Terry, for joining the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your family and where you grew up. Well, I am married to Lou Ann. We have three children, Kelly, Kyle, and Kevin, all of whom are married and all of whom have children. Our precious grandchildren, we have four of those with one on the way. Kyle and his family live down in Mobile. Kelly and her son live over in Athens, Georgia, and Kevin and his wife, Mary Ellen, Uh, live here in Birmingham, and are expecting our next grandbaby, a little baby girl, in December. I grew up in Atlanta, 
with my parents. I was the youngest of three boys. Both of my brothers still live in the Atlanta area. And we moved to Birmingham, gosh, about 30 years ago now. I had Lou Ann on the podcast a few weeks back, and she was telling me her side of the story of how you guys met. But she she mentioned that there are two sides to the story. So will you tell me the other one? I will. She Mostly she got it right. She um, said that we met in the 10th grade in homeroom, which we did. I actually met her mother a couple of years before I met her. And our fathers knew each other from way back in World War II. But we never met until the 10th grade. And then her version is slightly different. My version would just include that after we met, she chased me for years (laughs) until I finally gave in and we started dating. If I remember correctly, her version also added the fact that her mom was quite impressed with you. Oh, absolutely. Her mom even let me drive her fancy car one time when I was just barely 16, uh, just showing how how poor a judgment she had. (laughs) I want to hear a little bit about your career. What have you done over the course of your career? When it became clear to me that I was going to have to help finance college, I took a job at a bank in downtown Atlanta at 16, 17 years old, and no experience, but they gave me a shot, and it turned out pretty well. I worked through college, summers and Christmas breaks at that bank, And I went to work full-time in banking when I graduated from the University of Georgia. I stayed there for many, many, many years. That's one of the reasons we ended up in Alabama. And then I had a a most interesting, uh, as I like to call it, encore career in nonprofit work. I went to work in 2010 for the USO, the old Bob Hope Organization for Military Support. And with no military background at all, learned a lot about uh, how to support the troops and their families, Uh, did fundraising for them for a number of years. Uh, When I left the USO, I went to work for a consultant that I had met during that process who lives out in Denver. And he and I did a number of projects around the country until about 2017 when I decided it was time to stop doing any of that foolishness and <laughs> wrap it uh, up. and I retired and wrapped it up. Yes, okay. ma'am. Well, that might give you a little more time for your hobbies and your interests. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what you like to do. Well, the the most dominant hobby we have right now are the silver dogs at the University of Georgia. Okay, I want to hear about these silver dogs. What does that mean? Silver dogs were born after Georgia moved up to Notre Dame in 2017 to play up there, and we took about 30 or 35,000 of our closest friends up there to watch that game, (laughs) and we're so impressed with what they did at Notre Dame. They have an ambassador group that all we could talk about when we got back. The game was great, but that's what everybody talked about. So our athletic director at Georgia said, we need to do what they did here and thus the Silver Dogs were born. We're a, uh, mostly retired folks, many of whom are alumni from Georgia, like Luann and I are. And we volunteer and provide a welcoming, uh, greeting atmosphere, happy atmosphere on campus for any visitors that come, especially for football games, of course, because that's when we have the, the largest number of visitors. We go over to Athens quite a bit. Absolutely love doing that. A great way to give back and be involved with our university that we love so much. 
Well, and you went to college there. You played in the band, and now you're again serving the dog. So that's really cool. Uh, how did you develop a love for music? I guess the biggest influence was my dad. Before I even remember any of this, he sang on live radio in downtown Atlanta on Sunday morning uh, in a gospel quartet. And we always had music in the house. My brothers were also involved in music. So it was sort of natural that I would pick that up and move forward with that. So I started playing in the elementary school band in the fourth grade. Uh, Trombone was my instrument of choice. My parents somehow scraped enough money together to buy me a trombone, and that began my journey and my path through the band. So, But you also have had your own experience in gospel singing as well, right? Well, I have. Um, I got through the band. I played in a band at Georgia. I came back home and was looking for my next adventure in music, so I joined the choir at this small church in Atlanta that we sang in. And off we went. Well, my parents drug me to a gospel concert. All I remembered about gospel music was this television show on Sunday morning that was absolutely (laughs) awful. And we were forced to listen to it as we got ready to go to church. So I went with them to a little place called The Joyful Noise over just outside of Atlanta, which was a Christian supper club that had these nationally known gospel quartets come in and perform. And I went begrudgingly. We sat on the front row, and they introduced the cathedral quartet. They walked out on stage, and the very first note that came out of those men's mouths, I was hooked. So we asked our choir director if we could do a quartet number out of our choir. She allowed us to. And that began about a 20-year run of the Messengers Quartet out of Atlanta. We ended up doing 60 or 70 concerts a year, uh, traveled all over the place, bought us a big old tour bus, and recorded about 11 albums over that span of 20 years. Really loved doing it. Can we listen to these albums on iTunes? There are certain ways to do that, but you'd have to know somebody that was in the quartet to get a hold of them. Okay, well, I kind of know somebody, and if someone's listening that wants to hear, let me know, and I'll find out that insider information. Okay, how do you connect your love for music with your love for the Lord? The messages in the gospel songs, as we first started, were the traditional old hymns. And we were more interested in learning the notes and the harmonies and the timing than really the message of what was happening in that song. Uh, When we realized that there was interest in what we did and we got feedback from people about what that meant to them, it was incumbent on us at that point to really dig in and understand the message of what we were singing. And not just performing but delivering God's Word through that media. And I think that's how we began to experience what it was that we were actually doing and the reason we were doing that. You mentioned going to church growing up. Tell me about how you came to faith in Christ and how you seek to grow in faith now. I was so fortunate to grow up in a household with wonderful, loving Christian parents. It was a dominant theme My dad, uh, back in the day, was a Sunday school attender for years when they gave you a pen for perfect attendance. 
and we used to kid him because he couldn't stand up straight when he put those <laughs> pens on because there were so many years of that. But he and my mom uh, just set that table for us, and through their witness and their guidance and support led me to Christ at a pretty young age. Uh, we were always at church, but it wasn't just going because you were supposed to go. It had a meaning, and they talked about all that. That came very clear to me when both of my brothers were in Vietnam, and I watched my mom pray for them and love them and uh, really bring her faith to the forefront while that was a terrible time for her and a very challenging time. And I was young enough not to be involved, but also old enough to really understand what was going on in her heart. You ask about what I do today, and interestingly enough, this passage that I read uh, reminded me of how easy it would be to fall into that pattern of just behaving, just going and just doing and not realizing the depth of what it means and and how to be evolved uh, personally. And I'm reminded of that. I remind myself of that. And that's one of the ways I try to stay true all the way back to what my mom was showing me uh, all those years ago. Tell me about a difficult season in life where you experienced the peace of Christ, even though the situation was tumultuous. I seem to always come back to my parents, so I'll come back to them. When we moved to Birmingham, as you mentioned earlier, about 30 years ago, uh, my dad became very sick and passed away about a year after we were here. Uh, That was a tough time. My parents had been married 53 years at that point. And I was about 38 years old and thought that I would have them forever. So my mom was was heartbroken. She was both physically and emotionally just a wreck. So I moved her to Birmingham, and she became very, very ill in Birmingham and passed away about five months after my dad did. Probably the most challenging, tumultuous time in my life. What I remember most uh, about being able to find acceptance and comfort is the support that we got right here from the staff and our friends at Mountain Brook. Um, showed up all hours of the night when my mom didn't look like she would make it through the, through the night. Uh, Dr. Moby spent the night up there with me a couple of times. Um, all of the staff would stay in touch, and we hadn't been here that long. We, you know, weren't weren't as well-known, perhaps, as we are now, and didn't know people as well as we do now. But uh, the comfort that was provided, the prayers that were offered, just meant the world to me and allowed me, ultimately, to find some peace and comfort in losing both of my parents after having them for so long, uh, after being their baby for so long, and then losing them so close together. Mm -hmm. Are there gospel songs or hymns that bring you comfort or ones that stick out that are on repeat in your mind? Mary, there are so many. It's really hard to pick one. But I need to share a story about it, if I could. And I think that really demonstrates why this song is so important to me. Fanny Crosby wrote this song 150 years ago. Now, I love contemporary Christian music. I love all styles of music. 
But this is an old, old, old hymn. Fanny Crosby was blind from birth. She wrote hundreds of gospel songs and lived quite, quite an interesting 95-year life. Uh, The story goes that at the end of her life, when she was critically ill, she was in the hospital and was basically unresponsive. She couldn't communicate. She just was laying in her hospital bed. And her minister came to see her and sat down and was talking, and of course she didn't respond. And he said, if I could ask you one more question that you could answer, of all the hymns that you ever wrote, which one means the most to you? And he got no response. As he was walking out of her room and down the hall, she began singing the words of this hymn, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That is a powerful and beautiful story, Terry. I have never heard that. I'm so grateful that you shared it with us. And that is a favorite of mine as well. As we close the podcast today, would you pray over our church? Sure. Lord, we love this church. Thank you so much for all that you've done through this church, for its members, for our community, and for the lost. As we enter a season of renewal, I pray for our church leadership with huge responsibilities, with with huge expectations. I pray for wisdom, for patience, for our membership. I pray for communication and in all things, making sure that we always focus our attention, our goals, and the importance of what we're doing on you and your work here at Mountain Brook Baptist Church. Thank you for Mary for this podcast. Thank you for our church leadership. And in all things, we'll be sure to give you the honor, the praise, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have an extra special treat for you to tag on to the end of this podcast. As Terry mentioned earlier, he was in a gospel group called The Messengers, and they actually performed Blessed Assurance on one of their albums. And so we're going to end our time together listening to them sing this song by Fanny Crosby, Terry is the Tenor. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Yeah.